Hello everyone and welcome back to the Arrested Part. My name is Vanessa and today we're going to be talking about the saga that is Megan's lawsuit against Associated Newspapers, the publisher of the Mail, on Sunday. We will discuss the third reply that was made by her team to questions presented by the publishers, but I will focus on key elements, particularly the claims being made against the Kensington Palace communications team and those surrounding Megan's friends and their involvement in all of this. Also, I'll be talking about Meghan and Harry's constant fight for setting the record straight and how this lawsuit is serving as a tool for that purpose. As all of this is quite extensive and I like to take my time, I'm dividing the subject in two episodes. So in this one, I'm focusing on the claims against the Kensington Palace communications team. And in the next one, we'll focus on Meghan's friend and the uh, fallout from what's happened so far in the pre-trial part of the case. To be clear, I am not a British lawyer and I know very little of common law. So both of these episodes are really just commentary based on what Megan and her team are claiming rather than the legal aspects behind the lawsuit, as I'm of course not well versed in the British law. Um, I will also be referencing some articles that were published recently in the British media as a result of this reply. But as always, you can find all the links to all the articles I mentioned at thearistopod.tumblr.com under the episodes tag. And of course, you can also contact me in that same website. As we dive in, in all the content, I want you to keep your eyes on the claim. There's a saying in Spanish that goes, Mandenlo vista al norte, or keep an eye on the north, which essentially means that you don't lose focus on what's important. And in this case, um, pun intended, our north is that Megan is suing Associated Newspapers for articles that were published on both the Mail on Sunday and Mail Online and that had extras of a letter that she sent to her father. She claims that this was misuse of private information, breach of duty under the General Data Protection Regulation and infringement of copyright. To this, the publisher has argued that the letter was written and sent with a view to it being read by third parties and disclosed to the public and that Megan knowingly caused or permitted information about this letter to enter the public domain when her friends spoke anonymously to People magazine and discussed the letters, the letter's content in an article. So keep your eyes on that. On Megan's side we have misuse of private information, breach of duty, infringement of copyright, and on associated newspaper side we have that the letter was made with a view to it being read by third parties and that Megan allowed the letter to enter the public domain when her friends spoke to People magazine about it. This is extremely important because when you read all the papers concerned in the case, you really get the impression that this is about everything but the letter. Um, really, any article, any paper itself, anything that you may find, you read it and it's always like off the, on the back of your, head, of your mind, like, what does it have to do with the letter though? <laughs> you know, like, here's a private text message between Megan and Thomas. Uh, okay, what does that have to do with the letter though? <laughs> so, yeah, keep an eye on that. But um, going back to today and what concerns us, we're going to start with the claim that Megan was left unprotected and isolated by the Kensington Palace communications team and that she was prohibited from defending herself. This is something that we often hear from her fan base and from the people that support her. And in this reply in particular, she refers to the fact that the reason why her friends spoke to People magazine was because they saw the emotional toll that all the negative press was taking on her. Specifically, she said, as she was pregnant, 
unprotected by an institution and prohibited from defending herself. When I first read that, I was like, one, um, <laughs> that's quite a huge claim. Second, that's quite a way to drag Kensington Palace through the mud. And three, um, I was surprised that she was defending her friends, actually. Because my, my, my first reaction, if I were her, I would say to my friends, I spoke to the press, knowing I was in distress because of the press, would have been like, what are you doing? You're hurting me, you're being a terrible friend. I wouldn't go and run to defend them. So I was really shocked by that. And my fourth reaction was that I was thinking, well, but, okay, fine, but is this true? As in, was Megan really left unprotected? Or was the palace's response to this article and the other negative articles appropriate? Or was it lacking? Was it, uh, they did, did they do what they accustomed? Or was it something new? You know, what was the deal with all of this? And I want to make it explicitly clear, especially if there's any listener who disagrees with this. Megan's feelings in this are extremely important. As I'm recording this, you know, Megan's feelings are on the front of my eyes, like always in mind. This was a banner on top of my head as I was researching this episode and writing the key points. And again, it's something I just want to insist on. Because even if we disagree with it, even if we think, you know, she was overreacting, she was a fake crying, even if she was, well, she was lying because she used to say that it was all noise and then she was complaining. That doesn't matter. What does matter is that Megan did feel this way. And her feelings, again, of course, extremely valid, extremely important. Even if we don't understand them or even if we disagree with them. Because neither of us is Megan, unless Megan is listen to this. If so, hello, Megan. And none of us have experienced firsthand what having so much negativity around you can cause on your physical and mental health, particularly when you're pregnant, as in your emotions and your hormones are already all over the place. You're also literally growing an entire human being um, and all the implications that that has, you know. Uh, at some point she said she was fearing for her well-being I completely understand it you know there's been several studies that show the correlation between a mother's uh, pregnant mother's emotions and her fetus how um, that can affect the baby significantly so generally her being in distress could literally have been dangerous for Archie's well-being like it's not something to take lightly however however and this is my huge however this is like the the rational side of me that was like nagging along while I was thinking, Megan's feelings are important. This is the, the bit where I let that rational side speak and take control. Even if Megan felt this way, and she of course did, because she's telling us, does that mean that that emotional turmoil should have been addressed through the machinery of the Kensington Palace communications team? No. I, th- I think there's a thousand and one solutions to the issue. And starting with the fact of not moving to Windsor one hour away from the entire family, the only family Harry has, the only family Meghan has this side of the continent, the only family she has aside from her mother, the only people she knows in the UK aside from her staff, because as far as I'm aware, I don't think she had any British friends following her marriage. 
marriage. Um, second, call in a psychologist that helps her navigate all the turbulent emotions and all the negative attention that she had uh, while was pregnant. Call a family meeting and see what you can do to cheer her up to see if, again, living close by could tremendously help. Um, if we go back to 2017, maybe not marry as soon or make explicitly and abundantly and insanely clear to Megan that this was what was going to happen because I'll get to that in a second, but this is extremely common amongst, among real women. But the palace, the palace's press team is there to deal with the press and their job is one of the most important in the entire institution. Because the thing is, and we like to overlook this, and we always say, like, oh, whatever, the Daily Mail needs Kate more than Kate needs the Daily Mail. And, well, yes, kind of, I mean, maybe because of the clicks and all that, as a whole, the British monarchy survives and thrives on the press. When the press is negative, they suffer. When the press is positive, they thrive, even if their behaviour hasn't changed at all. Even if it's something minimal, even if it's something blown out of proportion, they're immensely affected by what the press does and not necessarily vice versa. Because even shutting them out, as we saw with the Sussex, um, and they did, particularly late 2019, late, late last year, even if they push them out or not let them be so close to have access to information, that doesn't matter. They can write about you at a distance. So again, the press team's job is so delicate in maintaining the balance between the press and the palace that it should not be disturbed unless it is extremely necessary, which is why we also see that direct statements and responses to negative articles are so rarely used. I've also read some people that say that, well, there was a widespread racist campaign against Meghan in the British media, and that is enough grounds to warrant a strong response from the palaces, you know, both Kensington Palace and Buckingham Palace when the Sussex moved their offices there. And to that, I kind of agree, in the sense of, absolutely, if there was a widespread racist campaign against Meghan, then that's something that the palaces need to act upon, because obviously you, you weren't going to deal with having a royal for God knows how much time Meghan would have been relevant in the public eye had she been a royal, 30... 20 years, um, you know, with negative articles of her every day. Of course not. However, I don't think that's what happened and what, what's happening during her time as a royal. Um, there was certainly racist commentary against her. Let's not, let's not have a doubt about that. But the commentary, the racist commentary, were mostly on social media. And as to, best, to the best of my understanding, to the best of my knowledge, I've been following the situation so closely for the past two, three years, there wasn't a widespread campaign throughout the British media and the British tabloids. As always, feel free to bombard me with proof of otherwise. Absolutely. This is a place for discussion and for ideas. But in general, there's not much the palace can do against social media commentary in the sense of we saw them, and even we saw them try, we saw them release these guidelines of, you know, how could you interact with the, I don't want to say royal accounts because that sounds so tacky, but let's say the royal accounts and, you know, what was, permi what was permitted and what wasn't it, what would be um, enough reason for them to block you and this and that. But in general, you cannot shut, you cannot shut up or silence um, social media. It is near impossible. I don't think you can even try. And 
in the media, the mainstream media, you could, but again, it's like, I don't think this was enough grounds to warrant that. As I'll continue explaining throughout this entire episode. So if you disagree with me, I invite you to continue listening and then you can come at me and tell me, no, you're wrong because A, B, C and D. The only article I can recall that was published by a Royal Rotten newspaper and that was the one where it was like undoubtedly racist, where it's like, it's not, not even implicit, not even suggesting, no, this is racist, was the one by the Daily Mail where she was called, the headline was, Harry's girl is almost straight out of Compton. You know, <laughs> there's no, nothing to add there. And interestingly enough, that is the only article that Megan has cited in her lawsuit so far, where you can see that there was a clear vindictive campaign against her. Let's not forget that earlier in the pre-trial process, Megan tried to push forward the claims of, I believe it was Malice and... forgot the other one. I forgot the other one, but it was basically that she was trying to prove that there had been a vindictive campaign against her within the Daily Mail and that she cited this list of articles that she showed as proof of that. But honestly, the only one that was, she didn't mention racism, but the only one of those that was racist was this one, the almost astray or a quantum. The other articles were mostly really more of the same, like something we've seen with previous royal women. Um, all ridiculous pieces which are meant to clickbait without too much substance behind them and that yeah they're just there to harvest click you know we we had one that was like not only cited in this but like just off the top of my head all the articles that were you know extensive cover on the expenses of from a cottage and I'm like yeah but like we saw that too with Kate and Kensington Palace and then Armyhall like nothing new um, Megan is expending too much in a new orangery and a yoga studio. Yeah, well, Kate was called Two Kitchens Kate and there were articles about how she had a date and a like, nursery and that she angered the neighbours because she changed the ties of the roof of Ame Hall and that she was spending money because she was adding a, um, a conservatory in the gardens of Ame Hall. You know, again, more of the same. Um, one that I see a lot of her fans um, cite around, it's, it's just so ridiculous, which is like, Megan, it was claimed that Megan was fueling human rights abuse because she was eating avocados and if there, there was a very shady market of avocados. And like, yeah, okay, again, <laughs> we saw claims that Megan, that Kate was supporting the Taliban because she was wearing lapis lazuli earrings. And apparently there was some Taliban groups that sold the stone so as to profit. So, again, um, I'm linking all of these articles in a Tumblr post, as I said earlier, but it was really more of the same. And we can sit down and have a long and productive discussion on whether or not the tablets were right in publishing the stories. In my opinion, that they weren't, but that this also reflects a culture where quick entertainment is what people seek. People don't seek information. Um, uh, the information action ratio is completely diminished to a point that all you care is reading a headline and form your opinion about it. Even if you then read the, the article itself and it has no meaning behind it or what was portraying in the art in the headline was completely false or a supposition. However, that's discussion for another day. The fact remains that these stories were all clearly either false or they were absurdly blown out of proportions. And I think it makes no sense to have a palace's communications team calling publishers every day to tell them, do not post that, that's fake, do not post that, that's fake. 
Not only because it's, again, no, no, it's not productive at all, it's not efficient, but also because you're threatening the very delicate relationship that there is with the media, as I said before. And it, comes, it can come across as if you're censoring them. And, you know, a British, you know, in Britain particularly, um, a, an institution that is founded on order of birth, supporting silence in the press, considering all that the British Empire, monarchy as a whole has done. Like, again, a slippery slope and you can go downhill very fast from that. But okay, let, returning to Meghan's shoes. Let's say silence wasn't enough, as she's saying in this response. Um, she, she's saying that she and her friends felt frustrated and silenced upon the insistence of Kensington Palace um, the, the communication team of Kensington Palace insisting that they should say no comment when they were approached by any media outlet despite any misinformation swirling around because um, she says that it felt as if the tabloids were able to say whatever they wanted say whatever lies they wanted while Megan and her friends like the people who knew the truth and who actually knew what happened couldn't say anything and had to remain silent in regards to her friends and family I do think it is for the best that they stay silent on everything, regardless of how false the article may be. Because when they don't, it really is opening up Pandora's box. To begin with, the friend is in no way, I don't want to say controlled, but let's say managed. If you hear some rain in the background, it's because it started to pour down outside my window. So I apologize for any noise that you may hear. I will try to raise my voice slightly so you hear me a bit better. But anyways, um, the friends are not really following an agenda, a narrative that the royal in question wants to push forward. The friends are following their own line. Family, I'll say so, yes, but honestly, the only family that Megan is close to at the moment is her mom, and her mom has, pro- has proven that she's not someone to talk with the press, so I'm not going to even bother saying what Doria shouldn't do because she's already not doing it. But with her friends, it's very, very slippery. It's, it's, you're taking away the control, again, of that precarious and delicate relationship that we established earlier with the media, and giving it to a friend that has no clue what they're talking about in regards to a royal and their narrative. They know what they're talking about in regards to a friend, but they don't know what they're talking about Her Royal Highness the Duchess of Sussex. I hope I'm making myself clear. In the sense of, take this same People article uh, as an example. Say people approached to a friend and asked, hey, how are the relationships between Meghan and father? And her friend, emboldened by the fact that she didn't need to speak anonymously, that she was um, permitted by the Kensington Palace communications team, again, it's a hypothetical case, and she could talk her mind, she said, well, you know, actually, you know that Megan um, wrote an, uh, a letter to her father, right? And well, her father replied this and this and this. How would that look in the media? How could Megan then come out and say, well, what my friend is saying, some part of it is false, some part of it is true, some part of it is a misconception, some part she didn't understand really. You know, <coughs> like, it, it could be completely disruptive to the entire work of, a, of the press team. And as a result, on the work of the royal in question, to have the friends talking to the press. The way royals avoid controversies is precisely by never talking, or very rarely doing so. And 
again, the quantity of the articles that were against Meghan, my God, it really is pouring outside. <laughs> the quantity of the articles against Meghan was so big that if the Kensington Palace communications team had gone through let, let's respond route, then they would have been on the phone talking with the media all day long and calling every single story false. Also, the reason why the no comment policy works is precisely because it lets stories die and also because it saves the royal in question from looking like a hypocrite for complaining about things that are ridiculous in the landscape of things. For example, on letting stories die, no one, no one remembers the two kitchen skate stories. No one, unless you were there. People have forgotten that. Why? Because people let it go. It died. Nobody pay attention to it. On the other hand, we have Harry and Meghan insisting and insisting and insisting that they did need to get from a cottage, that the renovations were valid and they paid for the interior furnishing, so it doesn't matter, as they said in the January statement, and insisting, insisting, insisting on them to a point that what they did was create more articles against them going, well, but, you know, they need to pay rent. They need to pay back however many millions. In any article, you, you'll see 2.4 million pounds. It, it's because of their own actions in trying to set the record straight, which, again, I don't understand, they made things worse for themselves. You know, I think... I, I just I just I don't get them. Like sometimes I have like a like a like a little not not collapse, but like I don't get it. I don't get it. I don't get them. I don't get the strategy. They don't seem to have any long term thinking, no long term plans. Like I don't get them. But well, moving on. All of this leads to another point, which is the discussion on whether the palace, Kensington Palace, was in a position or not to deny them any request, to deny Harry and Meghan any request. Um, Meghan says in this reply that KP said no comment to questions regarding the People magazine article and that that was decided that they were said no comment without asking her, without her approval. And she even says that had she known that they would say no comment, she would have asked, she would have asked to be able to say that she wasn't involved with the article. So as to, so I suppose, um, block any lies or lies to her eyes in the public. I don't think that them taking the no common stance was a prohibition or that they were silencing her, but I think that it was rather just following standard practices. And I think there was a protection of her because I, I've always said the above. Like, imagine Megan coming out and being like, well, yeah, I mean, like I did tell my friend, but I didn't tell her that, which is essentially what she's saying in this lawsuit. I didn't tell her that. Like she misunderstood what I said. And it wasn't like in the letter. I wasn't like saying precisely this. What I was saying was this. You know, like that would have been a mess. So again, <laughs> what they did was protect her and prevent even more backlash against her. I also don't think that it's productive or necessary to bother Megan with for a comment with for every single story. Like imagine Megan being called at four a.m. Hey, Megan, th there's a new article that says that you have a five thousand pound. Um, copper backed up. Do you want me to say that it's the lie? Like, what? What are you talking about? Um, and also, there's a risk in responding to stories like this. Stories who could easily fade out in in nothing, into nothing. Because when you say, yes, this is true, no, this is false, yes, this is true, you accustom the public 
to a response. So when you don't respond, it's like you're, you're proving me or proving the media that this is in fact true. So for instance, remember when Meghan wore, um, it was between February and March, I don't remember, the Morocco tour, she wore this custom made by Dior um, that the Daily Mail said cost £90,000. Like, imagine the press team being like, no, actually, we're not going to comment on this one. Uh, okay, so did the gown cost £90,000? Or will they have said, no, it didn't cost 90000 it cost 10000 10000 which was actually much cheaper. Or it cost 100000 they got it wrong. Like, you see, like, it's just a mess, a mess you don't want to get into. So it's just best to not say anything. Next point, <laughs> this one, my God. It is also questioned by her fan base whether or not there was a widespread campaign by the institution to either um, not bother defending her against the negative articles or proactively instilling these articles with the lack of response or even due to Kensington Palace and then Buckingham Palace being deleted behind many of these negative stories. Um, I want to make clear that neither Harry and Meghan have spoken in this regard, so please don't think I'm accusing them of doing so or of supporting this theory, but I wanted to talk about it because I've seen it popping around. I've seen it popping around and <laughs> I've even seen this go one step further and claim that it just wasn't like around the court here that when they talked to his son, but it was William, directly William, who would feed the stories or actively try to paint the Sussex in a bad light so as to favour himself and by extension. Um, his family, you know, Catherine and the children. Well, from a very subjective point of view, I genuinely do not think William would do that. Um, I have been following the Cambridges for the past seven years, seven, eight years, and even if you haven't, you don't have to dig deep to find proof of William's disdain for the press, which I think um, has been going on for longer than Harris issued with it. William appears to be someone who doesn't love the press, who doesn't cuddle to them, who actively tries to avoid them. And we saw this in his youth, before he and Catherine were even dating. We saw it during the courtship. And even after their marriage, we've seen them, but particularly him, take several steps so as to protect his family from what he has felt has been press intrusion into his life. With Catherine on her own, it has also been pretty evident. Obviously, I doubt Anybody would love being chased by paparazzi every day in London. But I remember that even during her breakup with William in 2017, um, Camilla, what is her surname? Tomini, Topney, Tomini, oh, I'm sorry, I'm terrible with surnames, especially um, Anglo-Saxon surnames, like I, I don't know how to pronounce them. My apologies, Camilla of the Telegraph. <laughs> Let's call her that. Camilla of the Telegraph um, called Kate to ask her for comment regarding the breakup and everything that happened. And Kate's response was, and I quote, I have the quote here, I'm terribly sorry, I've never commented to a press before, and I don't think it would be wise to start now. So, I think that if anyone were to believe and understand how Harry and Meghan felt, it would be William and Kate who not only dealt with the huge amounts of negative press that we saw in the early years of the marriage, but also with all the negativity to which Kate was subject to while she and William were dating. And because I said the early years of marriage, I need to then go to the rumoured shift with the press. I won't say rumoured because it did happen, it is um, factual. <laughs> 
we did see a shift, but I point that more to, to be a result of the Cambridges moving to London, becoming full-time royals, rather than anything else, because most of the criticism stem from them not having um, as many engagements or what were considered many engagements, but mostly the criticism that was over the Cambridges was because there was a general feeling that the couple was hiding away in Norfolk and avoiding the inevitable. And, you know, we had Kate, like, saying she was planting tomatoes and had chickens and things like that. And you were like, uh-huh. okay, Kate. And, you know, William had, like, a normal job, which is like, of course, very valid, very important. Yeah, da, 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 da. And Kate being with her children is also very valid, very important. But I kind of agreed with the criticism at the time. I still do, but I think that's the topic for another episode. But... What matters to us in this, this episode in particular is that when they, when they settled, settled in London, at Kensington Palace, the whole dynamic with the media changed, you know. And not only because they moved, but because of all the factors that imply, particularly around privacy, which is what this case is so, um, um, so, 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 so poignant and so insistent on, you know. When, when they moved to London, that took steam off the Cambridges because no longer the press would hear of insistent demands of privacy. And I think even those demands of privacy actually serve as proof that what we see with Harry and Meghan, this is just a result of more of the same. And that the palace's response was very clear and very common and that they did all they could or in the very least, they did all they thought that they should do. Nowadays, everybody's kind of forgotten, but the Cambridges used to be all day fighting nail and tooth with the media, and with what because of what they considered to be breaches of privacy. The response to that was usually handled behind the scenes. Like we would hear sometimes an article here and there, but it was mostly ipso complaints, closed door meetings with the press. You know, very rarely would he publicly from them. And when we did, it was usually because of something serious or something that concerned the kids had happened. Between 2015 and 2016 is when the media relations were at the worst. They were living at Ame Hall, facing criticism, as I said before. And I have here a brief statement that I want to read out um, that was released shortly after Charlotte was born. It was released within days. In my opinion, the statement is like very passive-aggressive. But I want to read it because it really highlights how extremely common, as I said, these riches of privacy are and how severe the royals have responded to them, have been in responding to them in the past. This statement says, Dear Sir and Madame, As you're aware, Amaho is part of the Sandringham State, which is a private estate, and in West in residence, members of the royal family and their guests have a more than reasonable expectation of privacy. Um, remember, this was already when the Cambridges are settled at Ame Hall following Charlotte's birth. It continues, there have, there have in the past been a number of intrusions into the privacy of the royal family, which in the main have been as a result of professional photographers using long distance lenses, not only to observe the royal family, but also to photograph them going about their activities on the state. Following warnings given to photographers and the photographic agencies involved, the position has really improved. However, we will remind you again of the position. The Sandringham State trusts that there will not be a need to take any further action other than bringing this point to your attention. With the above matters in mind, we will reiterate the clear request for acts of harassment and breaches of privacy to cease. 
This was signed by the communications secretary. For the time was Jason Nuff. 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 Again, sorry. Jason. Good. Jason, yes, that's it. Um, in three months after this statement, they also released a letter to the media, which is still up, and they also released it to the public. This short brief statement was released, I believe, exclusively to the media. I will have to check um, the article on that one. But the letter was like heavily publicized and heavily brought to attention so as to um, shine a spotlight on. <laughs> I hate that phrase, but so as to not sound myself repetitive. To shine a spotlight on the... Um, and the danger, really, to which the children, and particularly George, which was George, was subject to, because they would say like there were photographers there, were doing everything for a photograph. They would hide inside dunes. They would hide beneath cars. They would use all the children so as to lure George into a better area or closer to them where they could be photographed. If they could um, photograph him, you know, um, it was serious. I think the core message was extremely important. I didn't like the way it was presented. I thought, again, it came off, both of them came off very passive-aggressive. They weren't looking for a solution or mediation. Um, it, it was just, it looked a bit entitled. I, I didn't like it. I didn't like it. But, again, they do serve as proof. This is what the palace does. Give no comment and just talk with when it's absolutely necessary. A point that I don't think Harry or Meghan reach to command such a response. Even though we did see the palace briefly reply to some stories and release some statements, as we'll see in a second. Um, both the statement and the letter, as I said, were signed by the communication secretary. This was Jason. And it's important to remember that when Megan is referring to the Kensington Palace communications team, it's safe to say that she's mostly talking about Jason because he was not only the Cambridge's but also Harry's and then Megan's communication secretary and he was in that post until March 2019 so just before the Sussex left the household while Christian Jones which is often cited as the um, evil head behind all of this was from December 2018 to spring 2019 deputy communication secretary and when the Sussex left to Buckingham Palace and Jason became um, senior advisor to Cambridges he stepped up so while Christian was definitely there during the entire mess that was the People article fallout, um, it's safe to say that actions were mostly, um, the decisions were mostly taken by Jason and that it was mostly his work. I don't like Jason particularly, like I don't know him, of course, like I assume he's a wonderful person. I mean, I don't like his job <laughs> because I have no idea on his character and, and the characters seemed to love him because he became advisor and then became CEO of the Royal Foundation, so there's that. But I really don't like, or ever liked, his work as communication secretary. I felt like, you know, his media policy was all over the place. It was messy, inconsistent. It was really lacking on social media. I remember when, when Megan came along, we were all like, oh God, <laughs> let them get another communication secretary. I prefer Christian James, of course. I, I do have to say, I do like his work. I think he's amazing. Uh, the the past year or so has been amazing with him. But it, it sounds like as if I'm talking about a relationship with Christian James. But in general, I think he does his work well. But again, I do think that Jason did all that he could, or in the very least, used all the, see, the tools that he had at his disposal and that he believed would be useful to protect the relationship between the media and the Sussex and the Cambridges. 
In return to Cambridge's, again, it's hard for me to believe that a couple who have lived firsthand through such horrible things, particularly concerning their infant son, you know, which is like a step even further, I hardly doubt and hardly would believe that they will be the ones who work with the press of all people to try and make things difficult for Harry and his wife. Um, and even less so when you consider the extremely close relationship the trio had, particularly William with his brother, and even more so when you consider the knowledge that Catherine has on psychological um, issues pertaining to maternal health. And yeah, in, in the general well-being of a child, like, no, no, like, this, mm, no, I don't see it. The other point that I've heard is that William, yeah, I'm going like point by point, like trying to debunk this as if it were a conspiracy theory, because I genuinely think it is. But the other point I've heard is that William was jealous of the popularity that Harry had and the potential popularity that Harry had as a couple, that Harry and Meghan had compared as a couple to the Cambridges. Mm, I don't believe this point because three things. One, were the Sussex really that much popular? As in, it's undeniable that after the wedding, they were the hot ticket for a hot second because... You know, it was like the new couple, you know, what are they going to do? What's the wedding going to be like? What is the, the, what's the wedding like? Well, where they going on holiday? What's going to be the festival? Like all of that obviously creates interest. But genuinely asking, were they more popular than William and Catherine? We just had a baby. Um, were they more popular or as popular as the Cambridges when they married? I think that's debatable, but also leaning on, no, I don't think so, you know? Um, two, Harry was at the height of his popularity between 2015 and 2017, and part of that popularity was due to the fact that the Cambridges were barely seen, while Harry was out and about, and the focus was on him, and he supported amazing courses, and at that point, even when, you know, Harry was ahead by miles of the Cambridges in, in popularity, we never saw any the relationship with the Cambridges sour or any animosity, and in fact, we'd see them together, see them laugh together, have a wonderful time together. We hear stories of Harry dropping by one day when William and Kate were in town, and he would eat out of the fridge, things like that. You know, the launch of Heads Together was insanely successful. Things were going well, so it makes little sense that they would try to bring him down when he was fourth most popular royal than when he was second most popular royal and just behind the Queen. And the third reason, and final reason, why I don't believe that William nor Kate care for popularity is because, frankly, popularity is irrelevant when you're talking about the monarchy. And it doesn't really matter what, that they're the most popular royals or they're not. And William and Kate have made some unpopular decisions in the past that prove that they just don't care about that. That was the subjective part of me saying why William <laughs> wouldn't do this. But let's try to be objective. Like, let's say that William read Machiavelli once and decided that he wanted to bring Harry down. Uh, could have he done so, as in, did he have a way to do it? I don't think so. Keep in mind that at the time, uh, at Kensington Palace, the Cambridge's office is the main office. But the joint household of the Duke and Duchess of Cambridge and Prince Harry, then the Duke and Duchess of Sussex, works as an umbrella term for the four different offices of each of these royals who'd work together in some initiatives. I'm going to call that household Kensington Royal because 
even though that's just a social media as a name, I think I'm going to go mad say the House of the Duke and Duchess of Cameron, the Duke and Duchess of Sussex. Yeah, I can't. That's too much for me. Kensington Royal. So, Kensington Royal was composed of the offices of each Duke and Duchess. Uh, beforehand, it, before Kensington Royal existed, it was just the offices of William and Harry, and then it was the offices of William and Kate and Harry. But after Harry married, the his offices became independent from the Cambridges, as we saw in this statement that was released by Buckingham Palace when it was confirmed that they were breaking from Kensington Royal to move their offices to Buckingham Palace. Keeping this in mind, they did share some work, including their communication secretary, as we said earlier, but I don't think William had the power, if I may, to really dictate the media policy that was applicable to the Sussexes. Um, especially because at the time, and this is something I criticised plenty and I think was a huge mistake that led to a fallout, but again, another episode, um, the way Kensington Royal operated and worked was by treating the Sussex and the Cambridges as if they had identical offices with identical goals, with identical roles and at the same position. So there wasn't, as far as we know, a hierarchy of sorts of Williams over the Cambridge over Catherine's and Catherine's over Harris, like that, that didn't really exist. It was just the Fab Four, the four of them. Um, and for a long time, it was rumored, and I emphasize on rumor, that the reason why Harry and Meghan wanted to break away from Kensington Royals and install their own household was precisely to be able to determine uh, how they would do things, like their own way of doing things. And some speculated that it could be, sorry, I got distracted. Is it determined or determined? <laughs> sorry, I, I just, it's like, I feel like when I record, I stop English. Like, I don't know how to English. But uh, to choose their own way of doing things, and my apologies for that. But in general, some speculated that there could be a shift going on at the palace where William and his work was starting to be uh, prioritised over Harris. And that obviously would cause friction because they passed from the Fab Four to yeah the Cambridges and then the Sussex. That was never confirmed, and we obviously can't really tell because none of us was there. But the Sunday Times did report that the Sussex wanted a new household to be created in Windsor, which makes sense closer to home, and that that household would be entirely independent from Buckingham Palace at the same stature as Kensington Royal, at the same stature as Clarence House, same Jameses, etc but that they were told no to their plans and that's why their offices were moved to Buckingham Palace with the rest of the other um, royals instead. Again, impossible to know for sure. But do I agree with the rumours? I do, I do. I think it is pretty obvious by their actions that they felt stifled, that they felt silenced, that they felt limited by Kensington Royals. And I wouldn't be surprised if they thought that that was a deliberate attack against them, but... Most importantly, when you see the course of action, it becomes very clear that the couple was trying to find a way to do things how they wanted. And this involved, obviously, their media approach or how they treated with the press. Um, this is also bad because, thanks to the January statement, in which Harry and Meghan jumped the gun and told everyone what the plans were before consulting them with the people who actually decided what the plans were, and... In that statement, which we discussed in episode one of this lovely podcast, they said that they wanted to change their dealings with the press, and that included not even using the royal royal system anymore. But as I said, 
it's worth pointing out that in that same statement made by Buckingham Palace, where they said um, that Harry and Meghan would create a new household, the, the new household were being created for them, it was said that Harry did have his own independent offices. So I genuinely don't believe that there was a hidden agenda in how things were done. And again, I think the Kensington Palace communications team did everything they could with the situation that they had at hand. Furthermore, we did see Kensington Palace go on the record to defend Meghan from false stories several times. The Express actually ran an article, which again linked in the post, where they focused on this and they mentioned how the palaces how the palace did step up and denied claims such as there being a fight between Meghan and Kate or that um, one that was by Hello magazine that said that Harry and Meghan were going to raise their child with a gentle, how was it, a fluid approach to gender, something of the, of the sort. And we also saw, saw Harry publishing statements through Kensington Palace, most likely overseen by Jason, like pretty certainly overseen by Jason when he confirmed his relationship with Meghan and denounced the racism and harassment she had suffered by the press. And we also even saw Meghan publishing her own statement regarding her father's, the lack of, yeah, the lack of paternal presence at the wedding, to say it um, in a lovely way, which was also released through a palace. So this, as I was reading this, as I was reading the opinions, I, I, was, I was seeing a common thing of the question of, how can you be prohibited from responding when you are the boss that's in charge of that response? Meghan and Harry's approach to media was very peculiar. And whether it was right or wrong is up for questioning, I think. But they did do a lot of things the way they wanted. In this response in particular, Meghan recognises that they created and used it. Used Sussex Royal Instagram and website in a similar manner as done by other members of the family. Which, by the way, I think they meant Andrew. Because I'm pretty sure... Correct me if I'm wrong, but I'm pretty sure that the only royal, aside from the Cambridges and Charles and Camilla, who had an independent account and website was Andrew. But <laughs> that's all the thing. That they, they, she recognised that they did have this website and this Instagram and that they did agree to a South Africa documentary and that that documentary was suggested by the communications team. That's great. That's working according to what the Kensington communications team dictates or following the guidance. But also, on the other side of the coin, we cannot forget that they did do an interview during that same documentary where they bared their source and speak of the turmoil and the emotional burden that they had without anyone stopping them from doing so. And I doubt that with the approval of the Kensington Palace um, press team, considering that Harry even went us to confirm that he and William had had a fight, which I don't think would have been in the agenda of KP. We also saw that they weren't forbidden from launching a website, Sussex, Sussex Official, not Sussex Royal, Sussex Official, which was launched after, no, just before the tour ended by Harry and Meghan, in which they <laughs> talked about and announced the same lawsuit and where Harry spoke of his concerns regarding the media and the treatment of Meghan. We saw, as I said, the affirmation statements that were released, re released through the communications team. Um, it was reported that Meghan had a fixed media point outside her hotel during her baby shower in New York. 
you know, we saw them deciding the details of the announcement of the child's birth and then go against that by not announcing the labour until she had already given birth, which then is a goldmine of a topic. But I have a wonderful surprise about it, so I'm not going to even touch it a bit further because I cannot wait for you guys to actually hear in depth my opinion on that when this amazing project that I have in mind is finished. Hopefully by next month. Hopefully. But in general, we saw them do whatever they wanted. I mean, really, it, it, they didn't even announce, oh, she's got parents. They decided to do that. Nobody said anything in the sense of nobody within the palace um, argued with that. We even saw them announce that they were stepping down as working royals with an Instagram post and a new website that we can assume that wasn't palace-sponsored because within hours, Buckingham Palace, which obviously where the offices were, came out with their own statement saying, you know, the talks are at an early stage, um, essentially saying, please don't take this seriously. In synthesis, throughout the entire time as royals, and even before Meghan, Meghan married Harry, we saw the couple do more or less what they wanted with the media, with or without the approval of the communications team. So it's hard for me to believe that everything that resulted was more than the consequences to their own actions, and uh, rather than the vindictive or evil campaign launched against him. Is any of this, the lawsuit complaining about the institution, really worth it? I don't think so. It's really hard for me to understand what Meghan's endgame is in all of this. Um, and Harry's too, but particularly Meghan with this lawsuit. I, I think I'm pretty spot on with her motivations, which I'll explore in the next, next episode, but essentially is to control the narrative, which isn't necessarily a bad thing, but be upfront about it. Like, say, listen, I was bothered by this, and admit it and be honest with yourself, because, you know, we had Megan saying, just noise, and then <laughs> they complain about the noise. Just, just, just keep a straight line of thought. But the only winner from all of this is the publisher. Like, even if Associated Newspapers loses this lawsuit and has to pay damages plus legal fee fees, let's say a crazy amount, you know, um, Melania Trump was paid nearly $3 million by Mel Online in a settlement because of an article against her. Let's say that with Meghan they have to pay $20 million plus expenses of $5 million, $25 million, which is great. Megan herself says that they have millions of visitors a day. And she's apparently not wrong because Wikipedia says that as of August 2014, Mel and, Ra Mel and I received 11.3 million visitors a day. That's nearly six years ago. God knows how many do they have nowadays. And have you visited Mel and I? I'm not telling you to, to go and do it because obviously this is not a sponsored post uh, episode. But if you ever visited Mel Online, you know that there's ads everywhere. You know, you have an ad on your right side, you have an ad on your left side, you have an ad above, you have an ad below. There's just like pop-ups everywhere. And you have to like click away, click away, click away, click away. <laughs> so there's nothing that gives more profit online than advertising. And even, I even found this website that said that advertisement profits are between 50 cents and $2 per click. 
So let's say that Mel and I hasn't seen an increase in visitors since 2014, which I'm pretty sure it has, and that all these visitors just click on one story a day. That means that they could be earning between 5.6 and 22.6 million dollars a day just in advertisement. Any settlement that all damages, although I don't think this is subject to damages, but anything they have to pay to Megan will be a drop in the bucket compared to this. And what is Megan doing? Megan is giving them more and more content for them to make article after article. She's literally helping Associated Newspapers to earn money, to profit off of her with this lawsuit. While they seem to be baiting her over and over, and she just takes the bait. I, you read these questions and you, it's like, it seems very obvious that there are some that clearly Associated Newspapers and the team are asking to further prove their case. But there are others that are just picking at Megan, just to annoy her, just to get at her. And, and, and she's, <laughs> they're getting at her, the obtaining the goal. It's, it's just, I'm just speechless, it's just crazy. Um, it's infuriating, actually. That's the word, infuriating, to see the way this lawsuit is developing. And we are on the pre-trial phase, like, this is nothing. You know, and remember on North, remember when I said at the beginning of the episode, keep an eye on the claim. Remember how this whole thing was about a letter? Well, nobody cares. Neither party seems to care. You know, Associated Newspapers keeps keeps on asking questions, random questions. And instead of Megan and her team saying, hey, we won't reply to this. It has nothing to do with the case. Please drop this. They go and confirm or deny ridiculous stuff. Like how Megan did invite Doria to her baby shower, but she was just unable to attend. Okay, what does that have to do with the letter though? Okay, next. Well, but Kensington Palace was the one to advise them to do the South Africa documentary. Great, what does that have to do with the letter? Okay, next. Well, but you know, the taxpayer expenses to the wedding were perfectly fine because it earned one billion pounds in tourism revenue, which and then all of this just served as grounds for newspapers to comment her for seemingly insulting the institution or flat out lie about the tourist revenue thing and again create more and more and more negative articles and negative press at her expense which is what she was supposed to be fighting against and what was this whole lawsuit was supposed to be about the bit on the tourism is hilarious it's just uh, who thought of this like i found the paragraph of the reply and it's, 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 it's crazy because it starts, it starts by saying it is denied that the issue of wealth of privilege is relevant to Megan's right to respect for her privacy or her reasonable expectation of privacy and the content of the letter to her father. Excellent. Absolutely. Yes. Hammer on that. Go with that. But then the next paragraph is a train wreck because she continues. She was a working member of the royal family. Okay. And to some relatively nominal. Why? <laughs> extent publicly funded any personal travel costs were and have always been independently and privately funded by the couple this was a weird bit i'm like the emphasis on the working like it seemed like you know like um i i wasn't doing it for free kind of comes across that way and then say relatively nominal even if it was 10 pounds you have no say in that how's that nominal or isn't because those 10 pounds meaning being spent in you as a working royal are not being spent on things that matter for the british public that's the end of it that yeah there's no way around it but okay fine let's leave the paragraph there and indeed there was not continue but no it continues because it says 
The royal wedding of the Duke and Duchess of Sussex was not, in fact, publicly funded. Okay, fine, we can add that, but like, <laughs> that's it, call it there. But no, there she goes. But rather personally financed by His Royal Highness the Prince of Wales. We kind of knew, we didn't need you to tell us, it also kind of goes against the narrative, the positive narrative against Meghan, that was, well, not against, but that served Meghan, that were, because she was so rich and she had previously worked as an actress, she, she paid for her own wedding dress and this and that. Well, apparently she didn't, or at least that is what this is implying. But then it comes to train wreck. It says, Any public cost incurred for the wedding was solely for security and crowd control to protect members of the public, as deemed necessary by the Thames, 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 the Valley Police and the Metropolitan Police. I can't believe I forgot how to pronounce that river. But anyways, this contribution of public funds towards crowd security was far outweighed by the tourism revenue of over £1 billion sterling that was generated from the royal wedding of the Duke and Duchess of Sussex, which went directly into a public purse. What? 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 I, I don't get And the best bit of all is that the question that Associated Newspapers had asked was, to which extent what was, was, was she supported by public funds and which public funds paid for the wedding? That was all. Nobody asked, what was the tourism revenue? Was the spending, ju- spending, uh, spending justified? Um, I, I just don't get it. And again, the first part of the response that said, it is denied that the issue of wealth of privilege is relevant to her right to respect for her privacy or reasonable expectation of privacy in the content of the letter. That was perfect. Why are you doing this? <laughs> Why are you doing this to yourself? Is essentially my question. Why? What is the point in this? Another hilarious hot part was she was asked um, <laughs> that that there was an averment that she was that she was denied, <laughs> and she goes, "The claimant is no longer an actor." Okay, whatever. She's no longer an actor, or if she ever was, a business entrepreneur, as she claims in paragraph one. She's a member of the royal family and does not undertake paid work. Great, but then she goes, "As several members of the royal family do." <laughs> In fact, undertake paid work, including, for example, Princess Beatrice of York, Princess Eugenia of, work, of York, and Prince Michael of Kent. Oh, again, okay, Eugenie, please come in and tell us about the letter. Would you mind adding something in regards to a letter? Michael of Kent, the most irrelevant royal, like, no shade, of course, but the, the most random person, please tell us about your role in the letter. You know, and I love that she, she emphasised that several members of the royal family undertake paid work. Yeah, the minor royals, the non-working royals. And in particular, I have no idea of Prince Michael of Kent, nor do I think it's relevant considering that he's not unpopular, just unknown. Like, you know, I couldn't even know what what he's doing, nor do I care to to check. But Eugenie and Beatrice, precisely they work under the names of Eugenie and Beatrice Jork. You know, we don't see them going, Hi, I'm Princess Eugenie of Joke, and I approve this message. You know, like, they're not profiting off that title. So, again, it's like, what does this have to do with anything? Megan, you're making yourself look worse. I'm saying this from a place of love, of understanding, of trying to get the better for you. But you're not helping, girl. Like, you're not helping. This is a mess. And again, if there's, by chance, any Megan supporter 
who's listened to this and got this far in this entire thing. We can have a long, entire, productive discussion on whether or not the newspaper's actions are correct. But Megan is nearly 40 years old. And she's being advised, most importantly, she's being advised and represented by the best lawyers in the business in a case that pertains to the publishing of a private letter, something that should be an easy and straightforward case. It's just private letter. Private was published in newspapers and the public does not have the right to know what Megan does in her private life. That's it. And yes, in the Daily Mail... Daily Mail, no, sorry, the Associated Newspapers can come out and say, well, but her friends, her friends, her friends, okay, fine, let's focus on her friends. But to go around the bush, beating around the bush, you're talking about literally anything else, it makes her look bad. You know, like, they continue to hammer on things that have nothing to do with the case and only serve to make her look bad. And even worse, it really seems as if they're allowing or at least not carrying, the Associated Newspapers is cornering them. And it, as if that wasn't enough, once they're cornered, they give responses to questions, to questions that, that, are, that frankly, ridiculous questions that have nothing to do with the case. They give answers that paint her on an even more terrible light. So I don't get it. I don't get it. <sighs> the worst bit of all is that the People article, the People magazine article wasn't even damaging. If anything, it painted her in a favourite light. So again, I don't see any benefit, any benefit from responding to it, or even less so having a lawsuit over it, other than clearing up the fact that Megan wasn't involved. Which, frankly, <laughs> the people who care about the royal family, like who really care, the people who listen to this podcast, the people who are on Tumblr, on Twitter, on Blogspot, on all these platforms, is minimal. Especially the British people. Minimal. Like, most people don't care. Most people will assume, would have assumed that this entire People magazine article wasn't made with Megan's permission, especially considering the reputation that tabloids already have. Or, or wouldn't have cared, as I say. And I don't think it is worth it to press on the issue just to prove the tractors wrong. And as for the letter itself, next, next episode I will talk more about the, letter, the nature of the case and how, as I said earlier, it really is just a tool to come at the press because I doubt they had anything else that they could legally use. But to the letter itself, who cares? Who cares? By the time she sued, six months later, most people didn't even remember the letter. And even if all she says is true, even if everything is true, 100% true, that only means she has terrible friends and that she's managed to damage her public reputation even further. You know? Uh... Like, uh, <laughs> that even if Megan wins, like, do, do you see what I'm saying? Like, Megan loses, they would all, this all was for nothing. Megan wins. Well, she has terrible friends that speak to a press knowing that she's hurt. <laughs> she literally aired all her dirty business pertaining her relationships with her father, with the palace, with everything, with, even with her friends. And her entire reputation is in shambles because of all the articles that were written against her as a result of this. You know, like, I don't get it. Like, even if she wins, the result is pointless. It, it makes no sense. Like, okay, yeah, she had terrible friends that spoke to tablets and told them lies. 
She, while well, she was pe- pregnant and vulnerable and isolated and prohibited from defending herself and all that. And the friends knew that. And Melanie just saw an opportunity to write a story and wrote it. I don't get it. I genuinely don't. I don't. What is the point of all of this? What is the reason? What is the reason? I'm just asking. I don't. Like, if someone would like to enlighten me, I would appreciate it. Let, call me. We have a cup of, of tea and discuss this because I don't get it. I don't get it. Like, honestly, I wouldn't be surprised if, surprised if the lawyers of Associated Newspapers are at home laughing their asses off at all of this because they know the result won't matter either way and that with each document and each article, Megan is just lining the pockets and giving them even more material for more articles and more ads and more clicks and more money. So, I don't know. I don't get it. All this for what, essentially? But well, to round this all off, I'm going to point out two articles, both in the Sunday Times, one by Roya Nika and another by Valentine Lowe. Um, these are two robust journalists who, they do commit mistakes, you know, as we all do, but they generally seem to be spot on, particularly in things that regard, in regarding Harry and Meghan. Valentine Lowe said that Meghan was frustrated from the sides by Kensington Palace in particular over the stories of her half-sister, Samantha. Uh, calling her, you know, all sorts of things and say all sorts of things about her. And she was also upset and frustrated over the claims of her relationships with staff, including all the publishing of the number of people who had quit, and in particular, the rumours surrounding the resignation of Melissa, who was her personal assistant and who, uh, as the article says, was rumoured to have been reduced to tears by Meghan's um, demands. Valentine goes on to say that the Kensington Palace communications team couldn't even deny the stories because they were mostly true and he cites a source who says, quote, they were a drop in the ocean compared to what was going on, unquote. Of course, we don't know if this is true or not. I'm inclined to believe it is because concerning the author of the article and because of the circumstances and facts surrounding the claim, <laughs> but most of which, like we've already mentioned, like, I won't even bother. That being said, even if this is false, and I cannot say this enough, I think the palace was right in not responding because of all the aforementioned reasons, but particularly so as they wouldn't give more fuel to a fire, and most of all to protect her from the backlash that would ensue for fighting press over alleged 5am emails or her half-sisters rambling. And again, we don't know if it's true, but, 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 um... The other article that was written by Roy Nika, as I said, also in the Sunday Times, she said that a Kensington Palace source responded to criticism to a communications team by saying it was fiction and galling. I have no idea what galling is, but I agree. <laughs> Kidding, I, I really don't know. And another aide said it is completely inaccurate and total rubbish, while um, insisting that pretty much the staff rebuted every unfounded story they possibly could within reason. And that all of these courtiers stretch the relationship with the media to a breaking point. Kind of in the same symphony as all the things we've been talking about here. And the fragile relationship between Arroyo and the press. It's worth noting that a spokesman for Harry and Meghan declined to comment on this article in particular. The one by Royal Nick. So make of that what you wish. Um, so that's that. I think with that we're done for today. Next episode will be on the Friends, their involvement in the People magazine article and how Meghan and Harry too, but let's focus on this lawsuit 
um, how she wants to set the record straight, even at the expense of what should be a simple and easy to win case. And the million dollar question, which is, do I think that she was actually behind the People magazine article or that she collaborated with it? I guess you'll have to tune in to find out, but, um, hmm, yes. So that's that. Before we leave, now that I've finished with the content, I want to talk with the listeners. Um, deeply sorry for not being posting as much content as I wish I was doing and as I should be doing. That's been a result of a combination of my poor time management skills and my terrible internet connection. Uh, so as to give you context, the average internet speed in the world is about 30 megabytes per second, give or take. I currently have between 1 and 3 megabytes per second, so 10 times lower that. Sometimes I've gotten even as low as half a megabyte per second and the highest I get is 5. So... I record an episode and the first to upload to the app which I which I need to do before um, publishing the episode and it's just error over and over because as it's loading if the internet fails or it's too weak it just falls flat and then I try re-recording and it's the same thing and of course I cannot be trying all day long because well I'm busy with other stuff. Um, Nobody has pressured me to hurry of anything of the sort. I've only received positive messages or the normal questions of, hey, when it's going to be up? Um, and even suggestions as to what I can do to fix it, which I appreciate. There was even one follower, <laughs> which was so lovely. Um, they said to me like, oh, I was going to tell you to send it to me, but then I realized that you wouldn't be, <laughs> you wouldn't be able to send it to me if you have terrible internet speed. Um, so thank you for that but I still wanted to explain the lack of content because I like to be upfront and honest with the audience so um, what I'm doing right now is actually I'm recording it in a different app and then I hope I can export it to the one where I publish the episodes and that that will be like smooth transition and it won't need to be uploading over and over and over um, so yeah is that I just wanted to be upfront and honest with anyone who listens to this and with that in mind hopefully I haven't been talking to nothingness and this will be up and you will be hearing this but um, please believe me when I tell you that the person that most wants this episode out is me and I'm doing all I can to fix the connection in my schedule so that next episode will be up as soon as possible thank you as always so much for your support and for your lovely messages and for really for for your support really thank you i really appreciate it it is so much fun to me and i'm happy to see it is fun for others as well so i'll see you in the next episode i hope you have a wonderful week a wonderful day if it's day and night if it's night and i'll see you soon